I just got back from Africa. What a trip. What a whirlwind. And uh, some of you, some of you knew that I was in Africa, and some of you are thinking right now, why don't I have a mask and gloves on? It was a great trip, and before I put on any rubber gloves or, or, or masks, or before you put on any rubber gloves or masks, i got to show you a picture. This was circulating, uh, thankfully, on the interwebs before we got back and kind of set some minds at ease, and maybe you saw this. You see that great continent of Africa? See how large it is, and you see no Ebola, and you see where the outbreaks in those three countries are on the left-hand side, the west of Africa. I want to show you how far away from that I was. There's Swaziland. Look how far away I was. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know the context of how large of a continent Africa is, so let me show you one more picture. Here's how big Africa is compared to us. You see the United States? Do you see how much further away from the disease and danger I was than you are? So maybe I should be worrisome about coming back to a country that is much closer to the Ebola virus because it has been in some of our neighboring states, right? So I praise the Lord for uh, for safety. Uh, the size of Africa is worth noting and uh, the safety involved. Uh, there, there's been some confusion and discussion and raised eyebrows about uh, a trip to Africa during this kind of a, a, a dangerous season in some of the countries in that great continent. But the trip was absolutely incredible. Yes, it was quick and yes, it was taxing on mind, body and soul and probably especially taxing on my dear family. Uh, I have been squeezing on them every moment I can uh, since my return. They actually drove down to Washington, D.C. to pick me up at the airport. Uh, the plan was for me to follow or join the team and drive all the way back up to Jersey Shore. Uh, but thankfully, uh, Jess and the kids came down and uh, I got to celebrate my homecoming with them early. And uh, we drove back together on Friday afternoon and uh, I've been trying to catch up on life ever since. It is a privilege, and I'm so thankful to be home with my family, Jess and the kids, and to worship today with us, our forever family here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. It is a privilege to be a part. And there's so many people that took care of uh, some of the things that needed taken care of <laughs> while I was away. And the stories keep coming in from Jess and the kids about the who's and the what's took place while I was away, and how many of you reached out to them, and I am indebted to many of you who are even here in this room this morning for the efforts you made to ensure that my family was properly cared for in my absence. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And please do pray for me and my weary mind and body as I adjust back to the real world and get over my jet lag. I've been here at the church since before 5 o'clock this morning because there was nothing else to do while I was awake trying to sort out where I was and what was going on. I'm so thankful to God for the opportunity that I had over these last couple of weeks to be a part of the team that did ministry in Swaziland and South Africa. I'm so thankful to our church family for uh, your prayer support and some of your family specifically financial support and the volunteers who made this trip uh, possible. I'm so thankful to my family for being willing to give me up for 17 days and trust the Lord to bring me home safely. When I returned from my first out-of-country trip back in 2007, Ella was just a baby and Jess and I had just been married for a couple of years. 
And I went to Haiti. Uh, it was kind of a spontaneous trip. My, my pastor at the time, my senior pastor, I was a youth pastor at the time, he uh, was planning to go on the trip and lead the trip, and uh, he had to have knee replacement surgery suddenly. And he uh, came into my office one day and said, hey, guess what? You're going to Haiti. And I said, hey, guess what? I don't have a passport. And he said, hey, guess what? you got to get one. So I went to Haiti back in 2007, and I remember the experience of coming, uh, being there in Haiti for almost two weeks and coming home and just being absolutely lost in trying to figure out how to explain all that took place during my time out of country and the mission field and all that took place in those days, how to come back and share effectively what the Lord did and how He's working in my heart and life ever since. And I did the same thing two years ago when I went to Africa. I remember on the, the flight home trying to think through. I know people are going to ask me, how was your trip? And so I had to come up with a list of responses according to the person. Because some people just want the, oh, it was good, I don't have Ebola, right? And other people want to know about the scorpions and the elephants and the things that tried to kill me while I was there. And so I had to come up with this list. Every time that I go out of the country, I had to come up with this list of responses to uh, feedback to the people that are truly asking. And some people, it's good enough just to say, oh, it was a great trip. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting. That's all that they really want. Other people, like my family, want all of the details, right? And I haven't even yet been able to share with Jess and the kids all of the things that have taken place. We've only scratched the surface, even picture or, or video clip-wise, of some of the experiences that we had in Swaziland in South Africa. It was an incredible trip. Other people will get more of a response than other people. You know, some people just want the basic, yep, I'm safe, you're good, no fever, stand clear, I'm good. Other people will get more of the details, but this trip to Swaziland in 2014 really seemed to jump out of nowhere. This was on my radar for the last two years. When we came back from Swaziland two years ago, I said, I'm probably going to go back. And I trusted the Lord to help me raise the finances and be a part. And then uh, we transitioned from Shippensburg, where I was the solo pastor, here to Clearfield. And the Swaziland trip was still on my calendar. It was still going to happen. But with this life change of moving my family from Shippensburg to Clearfield, that kind of took precedence. And really, it felt like that trip to Swaziland that was somewhere in the future was suddenly happening. And here I was, landed in South Africa and ministering in that unique setting. What took place within the 17 days time frame of this trip cannot accurately be relayed with pictures, with videos, or even while sitting across the table from my family. And I still haven't conveyed all the details to Jess and the kids, nor will I be able to convey everything that happened and all the ways God did amazing things in and through us uh, until some things trigger some things. You know how that goes? You experience something again in life and suddenly there's that memory and you go, oh my goodness, I remember something like that happening once. But as I was working through my personal debriefing of the trip, all of its experiences and what in the world I would preach about here on this Sunday after my return, a mere 48 hours after touching back down, I really wanted to give you a snapshot of some of the lessons I've learned again while in Africa. I wrote some of these lessons down in a notebook that I kept with me most of the time that I was away. And some of them have been written down on the time since as I've been working on these notes in the last several hours. And others were originally lessons that I learned on the first time that I went to Africa a couple of years ago. So if you're still with me this morning, would you allow me to share some lessons from Africa 
that I think are not just lessons from Africa for you to understand what I experienced as a part of my trip, but these are uh, true lessons that can help us in our walk, in our lives, as people of faith. There's nobody upstairs to help me go to the next slide. I'm pushing the button. Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> Kurt, if you'll just make sure that the... That the uh, I can keep advancing. It worked just perfect. Lessons from Africa. The first one is this. The first lesson that I learned from Africa is that the world is bigger and smaller. The world is bigger and smaller. Maybe than I originally thought, or maybe than I uh, am am willing to uh, allow myself to understand. Kurt, I got nothing. I know that you went to that next slide. Thank you. There it is. Let me see if I can go. Nope. You're going to be able to help me out? Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. The world is bigger and smaller than I originally thought. It's bigger. Africa is a long way off. Do you know that? A long ways away. You can't get there from here. Did you know that? Uh, according to Google, let me, let me see if I can bring that up. Kurt, would you bring that up for me? Uh, Google, uh, don't you love Google? Google told me that I'm 8,393 miles away from Hyde, Pennsylvania to Swaziland in southern Africa. 8,393 miles away. That is a long trip. Let me tell you, it's a long trip. Uh, as a guy who struggles with, again, I haven't had a doctor tell me, but I'm pretty sure my mom has told me that I have ADD. And my wife has told me, my kids have told me, and many of my friends. I must have ADD. So a guy who has to spend 18 hours on an airplane who doesn't do well sitting still, first of all, it is a long trip. A long trip. 18 hours. It's a third of the the, the miles. It's a third of the circumference of the earth. It is a long way away. The world is huge. The world is absolutely huge. Uh, when I wasn't mindlessly being entertained by in-flight movies, there was a, another channel that you can change to on the screen that's in front of you for the whole 18 hours. And it's a, a screen that shows you how fast you're going, how many miles you've traveled, how much longer it's going to take to get there, how many more bathroom breaks you have. No, it, it tells you how many miles you still have to go and how huge of a trip you're truly on. And here I snapped a picture of the camera, uh, of the screen in front of me, uh, just before we touched down in Dakar to refuel. And it's just a reminder that we've been over the ocean for hours and hours and hours and hours, which isn't very, uh, you know, reassuring, uh, but it's quite interesting. So the world is much, much bigger. Uh, during our last two days in southern Africa, our last two full days, we spent them at the Kruger National Park, which is a place that I was very much looking forward to being able to go back to. Uh, the first time I was there two years ago, I took over 2,000 pictures of animals I'd never seen in my life in person, other than uh, behind cages. Uh, but this time I took less than 1,000, so I'm doing a little bit better. Uh, and the, the park is just enormous. I spent a lot of time at Yellowstone National Park when I graduated uh, from college, and I moved out there for a, a, a couple of months. And uh, Kruger National Park is, is almost double the size of Yellowstone National Park. It is a huge place and full of some amazing animals. It's absolutely fabulous and it's huge. Slightly smaller than the state of New Jersey. Also, understanding the, uh, that the world is so much bigger uh, is the, the, the fact that you get this disconnected feeling 
When you get into an airplane and you show up in another country, another continent, in another time zone, we were uh, six hours ahead of time here. And then when the time changed, we were seven hours uh, ahead of, of things once we uh, landed there in southern Africa. And it was just a, a disconnected, you feel kind of like you're out of place, you're out of your culture. People look different, obviously, and people talk different, obviously. And uh, that disconnected feeling of being in a total different land helps you to realize how big the world is. But just as we understood how, uh, just as the lesson was on how big the world is, the world also got a lot smaller in some situations. Uh, as we were in Kruger, we were uh, getting off, we took a, a night drive, a three-hour night drive to go see some of the wildlife in the, in the middle of the dark, and that was, that was exciting, uh, to have lions right beside you in the dark where everybody says you're safe, but you know that that thing's going to kill something. As we're getting off of uh, off that truck after those three hours, we had a wonderful excursion. There was another group about to get on, uh, and they were about to go for their three-hour trip. And as I'm walking past some people, I, anybody do people watching in an airport or anywhere that you are that there's people, you watch people? I was trying to be the guy that could tell Americans from other nationalities, and I was horrible. Uh, but actually, coming off of that truck, off of that safari truck, and walking past some people, I noticed some Americans because they were talking in English, and they sounded just like us. Uh, and so I struck up a conversation with them, and the first question they had for me was, who won the World Series? We, they've been gone for five weeks. They've been in Africa with no news, no connection. And uh, thankfully, we had, we had found out, and we knew some, some stuff, and so we were updating them, found out they were from Connecticut and Utah, a couple of them. And we just had a wonderful conversation. So a small world. These people, uh, half a world away, a third of the world away, uh, are, are just like us. And so the world got small for a moment. And the, uh, another situation was, with the principal of Emmanuel Westing Bible College. He's been uh, the brand new principal over the last uh, two years. And he's been serving there. And I was riding with him. We were driving into town to look for some tools. And uh, uh, we're sitting next to each other and just kind of talking uh, about our lives and, and where he's from and where I'm from and what's going on. And we found a, a unique connection within our Wesleyan family that uh, he's very good friends with a great aunt of mine in Oregon. And uh, I... It's just amazing how small the world got that this guy I've never heard of, never knew, never known, uh, no, no connection with previously, that we have that unique connection just a couple steps up in my family tree. So the world was big and small. Another one of the fun things to remind myself of how small the world was, was the influence of two of God's greatest gifts to the soda industry. Coca-Cola and Mountain Dew. Those two things were found in every uh, um, gas station. Every restaurant had Coca-Cola, and uh, most of the gas stations had the option of picking up Mountain Dew. I drank a lot of Coke instead of drinking the water uh, in some of the places that we were in southern Africa. So the world is bigger and smaller. That was the first lesson for me. And though the world is bigger and smaller than maybe we originally think or we originally uh, give uh, thought to, and yet we know the song from... Being raised in the church, if you were raised in the church, he's got the, he's got the whole world in his hands. The reminder of how far away I was, the reminder of how minuscule I felt in some of those situations as we were above the ocean, and if anybody even knew where our airplane was, I know they do, and how small I felt in, in some of those situations, and how uh, unique it felt to have those connections back to where home is for me. 
To know that my God created this earth. That our God said the word and the earth became. To, to know that God put this planet on its axis. To know that our God separated the land from the water. To realize how great and mighty a creator our God is. Is a lesson that I'm learning from my time in Africa. Isaiah chapter 40. Look at it on the screen. Chapter 40 verse 12 says it this way, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Or with the breadth of His hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Our God is bigger than the hugeness of the earth. He created all that we see and all that has been created. That's a lesson from Africa. Number two, strength in numbers lesson. The strength in numbers. This is something that we have to understand and, and, and a lesson that is continuing to uh, ruminate in my own heart. Check out this picture. Uh, we, we pulled into a, a small wildlife sanctuary called uh, Milwani uh, right there in, in Swaziland. We had a couple hours to blow and Dorcas said, hey, have you guys been to this park last time you were here? And I said, no, we never went to a, a wildlife sanctuary in Swaziland. We only went to the one in South Africa. And so she pulled in this place. We paid our $3 and we got to drive around and it is a, a park that has no... Uh, a predator animal, so it's safe. Yeah. It's very safe. Safe enough that you can actually get out of your vehicle and walk towards some animals that have antlers that could definitely skew you. Uh, uh, but it was a, a wonderful experience. So we got to stand right next to this awesome termite mound. You see that thing? It's uh, almost seven feet tall, huge termite mound. So we took our picture. You know, we're good Americans. We had cameras around our neck. We're just snapping pictures of everything we could see. Uh, but the reminder about the termite mound is that one little termite by himself... You can get squashed pretty easy, right? But thousands of termites can build something like this. And a little further research into what termites in southern Africa can do, they can actually build termite mounds that are up to 100 feet in diameter. That's a pretty big deal, right? And we understand this at home, that a one termite, if you find one termite, you know that there's more. But one little termite isn't going to do a lot of damage to your house. But if you get an infestation of termites... They can bring the whole house down. A good lesson. Another animal uh, that we saw uh, at Kruger is called the, the banded mongoose. He's running there, so you can't see him very well. But a banded mongoose is this really unique little animal. I, I was pretty interested in all the big animals that we were seeing. But here we are on, on this, this evening uh, uh, safari truck thing. And, and our, our guide says, oh, there goes a banded mongoose. So I'm snapping pictures of whatever he's talking about. And he begins to describe this little banded mongoose. And they're just this little tiny mongoose, kind of like a, a, a ferret or, or something similar to a squirrel like we would have here. And this little uh, mongoose only gets about a foot long, and, and the tail's a little bit longer than that. Uh, it never weighs more than five pounds. And on their own, they're pretty low on the food chain uh, within the Kruger National Park, within any place in southern Africa. They can't really do anything on their own. But one of the awesome stories about the banded mongoose is that together with a, with a, with a I don't know what the collection of, of mongoose is called. Somebody probably does. Uh, but together as a, as a corporate entity, they can even scare off a lion uh, from their surroundings. If a lion comes into their neighborhood, together they can uh, make themselves big enough and scary enough to kick off a lion out of their property. It's pretty a big deal, right? On their own, not able to do much, but together the strength in numbers is absolutely fascinating. 
Uh, during our, our last night of the pastor's camp, I had the privilege of giving the closing message and then uh, leading us in communion. And my message was all about the beauty and the wonder and the importance of understanding ourselves as a part of the body of Christ. Here I am in southern Africa, in Swaziland, delivering a message to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are pastoring in churches all across that area. And I'm reminded of the importance of our strength in numbers, that just as one, we're not very influential. As, as just one person, one little blip on the radar screen, we don't have a lot of huge significance, but... According to our position within the body of Christ, all of us working together, all the ligaments, all the body parts working in tandem, we're able to do some mighty things. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We are not islands unto ourselves. We make up a beautiful body of Jesus Christ. We have a special privilege, friends, of being a part of something far bigger than ourselves. And just like a termite or just like a, a, a banded mongoose, we don't have to be everything within ourselves. We can link arms. We can scare off lions, I guess. We can do the impossible. Some illustrations of that that have been realized just in the past uh, couple weeks here at Hyde Wesleyan. Uh, Harvest Festival. 1,600 people here on this property. How did you do that? Was it just one person? Some of you are like, yeah, she did it all. It was because many people banded together, worked together to pull off the impossible. We have that privilege, we have that opportunity every day in our lives to realize that there is strength in numbers and it is a privilege and an honor to be a part of something far bigger than ourselves. The third lesson from Africa for us this morning is that the world is watching. The world is watching. Man, in in the airports in both Swaziland and in Johannesburg, and in uh, we went to a couple super supermarkets and a couple gas stations. Guess what music was playing on the radio? Our pop music, American pop music. And guess who knew most of the songs? Not me. The locals, the, the Swazi Nationals, they were singing these songs. Uh, when we were working on our first day, we had a church work day at, at one of the churches, and uh, some girls had a, a phone, a cell phone with them, and they were uh, playing uh, popular dance tracks from the States. And they, they knew all of the words. They were singing them. They were dancing to them. They knew all the stuff. One of the pastors that was with me, uh, his name was Jason, and he uh, introduced himself to one of the, the, the Swazi boys that was on campus. And he introduced himself as Jason, and the, the kid responded instantly. He said, Jason Derulo, who is a, a popular... R&B singer here in the States. They, the world is watching our culture as Americans. Do you know that? Uh, the world knows about us. Uh, we don't know a lot about Swaziland. Maybe we can learn a little bit if we go to Wikipedia, if we go over there and learn some things. But the world truly is watching the loudest countries, the richest countries, the brightest countries. Uh, there's a lesson there about the world knowing us. 
about the world watching us. It was uh, the night before Halloween, I believe, and we were sitting at uh, Dorcas's uh, house. That's Pastor Bob's sister, who's a missionary there in Swaziland. And we're sitting at her house, and we just finished dinner, and uh, we're sitting with uh, one of the pastors from a local church. His name is Mapile, and we're watching uh, CNN World News. Not uh, not our version of CNN, but a, 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 a world, I don't remember what, what uh, uh, city it comes out of. But we're watching this broadcast, and they're showing all of the events of the of the week and giving us updates on what ISIS is doing and uh, which country is falling and how bad things are all around. And they get to the, the U.S. portion of the world news. And guess what they reported on on the night before Halloween in Swaziland over the satellite for the world to see about us? Maybe you saw this segment and you just blew it off. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if it aired here. But it was all about how much money... Americans are spending on costumes for their pets. Can I admit to you that I sat there in my chair and went like this? I was, I was embarrassed that here we have this world news about countries falling and all kinds of things happening in the, in the world context and here they're getting to what's going on in the United States. Well, tomorrow... 23 million American families plan to dress up their pets for Halloween, spending somewhere around $350 million. Yeah, yeah. Some of you who dressed up your pets are like, I only spent half that. (laughs) Here I am. In 2011, the, 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 the closest stats that I could find quickly yesterday... In 2011, Swaziland was the fifth poorest country in the world, in all the countries. Here I am sitting in possibly what is still the fifth poorest country in the world. And we're watching news about my country and what we spend on costumes for our pets. And I couldn't help but be a little squeamish about that. To realize that the world's being influenced by the likes of us. And in that moment, I didn't think we were doing a very good job. And I was sitting with Mapile, and I, as soon as that segment was over, I was like, i got to talk to him. What does, he, what does he think about us in this room? And thankfully, I have enough of a relationship with him that I could be completely honest. And I was like, Mapile, what do you think about us? I mean, here I am. I'm going to be working beside you and, and teaching. Do you think I'm an idiot? I mean, do you think that that is, is what all of us are like? That we're all dressing our dogs as Batman? And you know what he said to me? He said, every country has its issues. Every country has its priorities mixed up. We all have people that don't have a clue. (laughs) And I was reassured in that. But the lesson for me is that the world is watching the influence of us. And on an individual level, we have a responsibility, friend. If you are a Christian today, the world is watching. We know this in some little way if you have children at home who've repeated something that you've said that you wish they wouldn't have. Oh man, I said that in first service and nobody laughed and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble because maybe that only happens in my house. We know it in that little way when somebody says something, a kid says something that we've said, and think about it the next level. People are watching the way we do life. 
And as a Christian, the world is watching. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. You are the salt of the earth, he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The world is watching, friends. Whatever size world you have influence over, the lesson for me is that I want to be a light bearer in ways that the world hasn't yet experienced. Number four, God uses people, I I wrote it this way, God uses people like you and me, but it really should just say God uses people like me. What a lesson I have been learning from my time in Africa. God uses people like me. God will use you, or use me, use us, if we are truly willing to be used. Uh, our first day on the ground, we, we landed in Johannesburg, we had to have an, a, a, a night there, and then the next morning we took a flight from Johannesburg to Swaziland. The first day we got there, we changed our clothes, and we went straight to Mapile's church. I talked to you about him just a minute ago, and we had a work day at his church, which looks a little bit different than a work day here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, okay? Here's what it looks like. Check out this picture. Here's what we did. Uh, we put a cement floor in his church. That's his church. Check out the next picture. Here's the outside of Mapile's church. He's serving the Lord in his church building, and boy, is he full of the good sense of pride about his building. All day long, check out the next picture. Here's where we mix cement right here on the floor. Next picture. This is us trying to make cement like the Swazis. Boy, oh boy. Uh, we, we, we went over to the pile of sand, and I, did, I wasn't a part of this because I was much better than these guys. <laughs> One of the guys with me uh, went over to get some sand in a wheelbarrow, and he's scooping sand in a wheelbarrow. I'm inside tamping the, the cement down while they're about to mix up another batch of cement. And uh, some ladies who were clearing brush from the, the, the church property, they came over and took his shovel from him because he was taking too long to get this, uh, the sand into his wheelbarrow. They showed him how to do it. It was awesome. Uh, I, I made fun of him. I made fun of him as much as possible. So we mixed cement. We uh, laid down a thin layer of cement upon the floor because during their worship times in that little tiny church, uh, they've been kicking up so much dust that people have been choking uh, during worship. So they were just hoping uh, that the two bags of cement that they had would be enough to put down a thin uh, layer. So we helped them uh, do that. God was willing to use me Because I was willing. And for most of that afternoon, I was holding a pole attached to another pole, attached to another pole, like a big U. And together with Mapile, the pastor of the church, we were stamping concrete in a place that I couldn't believe what I was doing. Because of willingness. Because I said, okay, God, use me however you want. Uh, for the next three days, even after uh, that experience, for the next three days as we did the pastor's conference on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, God used me to minister in a, in a way that I maybe wouldn't have ever imagined to, to, to lead 40 national pastors there in Swaziland to uh, take back some messages to their church and to learn some skills uh, to better pastor their flock, to better shepherd their flock at home. 
I remember before my first trip to Swaziland back in 2012, I, I spoke with Pastor Bob. This is before I was ever here, before I, I had a real deep relationship with Bob. And I, I was talking to him at one of our district events and I was like, hey Bob, I know you go to Swaziland like every other week. And I know you do this, this pastor's camp, you talk about it all the time, and you're always asking for pastors to volunteer. And I, I, I'd just been a, a pastor for a couple of years in, in Shippensburg, and I said, Bob, could you even use a 30-something guy like me on a trip like this? I mean, do I have anything that would be a benefit to you? And he's like, absolutely, I want you to come. Yes, yes, you need to come. And little did I know that I would go once, and let alone twice, to Swaziland to serve and to pastor and to love on the people of Swaziland. I'm thankful to have settled the willingness issue with the Lord in my own life to say that I live my lives with open hands like many of you do that says, God, if you are willing to use me, I am willing to be used. We know the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Scripture says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Go ahead, it's on the screen, Kurt. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That, friends, is a lesson we must all continue to learn. To be willing to be used of the Lord. He will use us if we are willing. He will use us as His hands and feet if we will surrender our literal hands and feet to Him. He will pull them up. Similarly, number five, lesson number five from Africa. God can use whatever we have to bring Him glory. Whatever we have, whatever resources we have, we always think that we're lacking in resources, right? We always think, I don't have what so-and-so has. Personality-wise, money-wise, facility-wise, I don't have what someone else on the next level of having has. Can I tell you that it takes going to another country that is the fifth poorest in the world to realize that what I have, I should be embarrassed forever thinking that I don't have stuff. Emmanuel Wesley Bible College, the, the college that we spent our time at, that uh, on Saturday, last Saturday, they were graduating eight graduates. Uh, if you pulled up to Emmanuel Wesley Bible College, you would not know that you pulled up to a Wesleyan Bible College except for the sign. If you've ever been to any of our other campuses in the United States, you know what a typical Wesleyan Bible College or school looks like. And there, let me tell you, they are doing ministry in ways that we don't get. Because we have been so overshadowed by the stuff of this world. Uh, Facility-wise, financial-wise, they don't know if they're going to be able to keep the doors open or closed. They don't know if they're going to be able to pay their staff. Uh, in, 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 the, in the past two years, just before we left in 2012, they were about to get their, their first shipment of chickens to raise on campus. And now they've been raising chickens for the past two years just so that maybe they'll have enough chickens to feed some of the students some meat every week or so. That's the reality of what they're using, the resources that they're using, and really uh, the, the purpose of our conference, the purpose of the school was to be a reminder that they are producing disciple makers in that school. And that the pastors who came to the conference from all over southern Africa are are there to be trained and to remember that our job as Christians, as pastors, is to be disciple makers and disciples who make disciple makers. Each of the eight graduates that graduated on Saturday graduated with uh, an empty diploma. It was just a blank piece of paper because they haven't been able to pay yet. 
uh, to finish their schooling. They've all graduated officially, but they can't receive a diploma until they've paid. They don't have the resources to even finish paying for what they've already accomplished. And each of them is going into a setting where we would look at their, 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 their pastoral setting and we would say, how are they even going to survive? It's because God uses whatever we have to bring Him glory. It doesn't take a beautiful building. It doesn't take padded seats and lights on a screen. It doesn't take air conditioning and heating, though those are nice, to bring God glory. He will use even a shack in the middle of a field to lead people to Himself. One of the messages that I was able to preach was a message about Moses and his excuses between in his conversation with God as God called him to set Israel free from Egyptian slavery. And Moses approaches the, the burning bush and God tells him to take his shoes off and they have this whole interaction and God says, hey Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses looks in his hand and it's just the staff that he's been using to shepherd his father-in-law's flock. You remember the story in Exodus? And Moses continues to have these excuses to God when God's telling him, I want you to do this. And Moses is like, I don't, I don't speak well. Uh, what about someone else? Could you please ask someone? And God says, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, it's just a staff. God says, throw it down. And he does. And he becomes a snake. And God says, pick it up by the tail. And Moses is an idiot and does. Picks it up and it becomes a staff again. And the lesson, friends, lesson from Moses' story and from this experience of being over in a resource-less society is that God truly will use us and whatever it is we have. Whatever it is. Whatever quirk, whatever uniqueness, whatever disability, whatever resource we have been given by Him, whatever gift and ability, He can use it to bring Himself glory. Number six. Lesson from Africa. The goal is worth the journey. Last Saturday, I wasn't feeling great. Saturday evening, we had a big day coming up Sunday. I, I had been chosen to be the, the pastor who would speak uh, at the top of this mountain. Uh, we, we were going to have to hike almost two hours up a mountain, and then uh, I was going to have to preach at this church. And I Saturday night went to went to bed not feeling well, and I just didn't know how I was going to do that next day. I had no idea what was really before us. We had some understanding. Pastor John told me that I was probably going to end up in prison uh, for hiking out of Swaziland into South Africa. So that was in my brain. Thanks, Pastor John. <laughs> Pastor Bob told me on, uh, before I left, he's like, you're, you're, you're going to get to do something that I've always wanted to do on all my trips to Swaziland. So I had all that weighing on me about this hike. And uh, we got to the, the base of the mountain, and I saw the mountain in front of me. And uh, uh, Randall, the, the principal of EWBC, was sitting next to me in the vehicle, and he said, there's our mountain. And I went, very funny, thinking that can't be our mountain. And it was. And so even not feeling the best, we had to start climbing and we climbed this mountain and, oh man, talk about wanting to complain and not do what I had to do. The pastor who pastors that church on top of the mountain, his name is Zekele, he had just graduated the day before and so he had some of his belongings that he had on campus and he was going to take them back up there and live for a while. And <laughs> Friends, he, you know those four foot propane tanks? 
not not the little gas grill propane tanks, but the the big propane tanks that you use for cooking and stuff that you you have on your camper or 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 your 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 campground um, cabin. He carried one of those on his shoulder the whole way up the mountain. Made me look like an idiot. I had this pack that I had to have someone else help me carry. I was so exhausted halfway up the mountain. I blamed it on you know the fact that my spirit was. Uh, inflicted because of the message I had to preach. No, I, I, I even preached the message as we were climbing the mountain. I preached the message to everyone in, in, in our group that was climbing together just because I thought I was going to die and someone would have to continue to, to preach that message. We got to the top with a little help from me. Can I, can I also share, it is so good to have a cheer team. The, the guys that I was with that, that cheered me on, cheered, we helped each other get to the top of that mountain. These Swazi nationals who were just trucking up. I don't even want to tell you about the six-year-old boy who carried two chickens on his head in flip-flops. And I'm dying trying to get to the top of this mountain. We got to the top. And can I, the, the lesson is that the, the goal at the end of that climb made that whole journey so worth it. The, the experience of the view, yeah, looking out across Swaziland from that pier, that, that point, was so amazing. Pictures, you know how you take pictures and you're like, oh, I can't wait to show people. I looked at the picture and I'm like, not nearly as cool as what I experienced up there. And the opportunity for worship with those mostly kids in that church on top of that mountain was absolutely life-changing for me. Having the opportunity to preach in that setting and love on those people and the, the meal that the ladies prepared for us that we didn't know about, that they gave of themselves to prepare just for our crew that was loving on them that morning. It was so humbling and overwhelming. The experience, the goal of, of accomplishing that task. And even after we got back down and got back in the vehicle and tried to find something to drink as quickly as possible, putting all of that behind us and driving out of town and looking up at that mountain and realizing where we had been. The experience, the whole journey was so worth it. Now, I don't want to do it again. But on the other end of it, I know that all that I did in that experience was so worth it. Similarly, here we are in life's journey. Right? We're, we're all walking life's journey. and We are all experiencing different experiences. And life is not promised to us to be uh, free of mountains. Life is not promised to us to be free of snakes and scorpions and uh, rocks that fall and rubbery legs and I'm still in pain moments. And yet we know that what we are pursuing at the end of our life is not just finite. It's not just the end. There's a goal in mind. We have a, a place that is being prepared for us, Scripture says. Amen? And so we have to have perspective. Maybe it's a lesson that we need to learn together. Because I'm continuing to learn it, that whatever life has for us, whatever we are experiencing here and now, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. Look at it with me. Paul writes it, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running 
aimlessly. Therefore, do not run. I don't run, Paul says, and I think it's a command to us. Don't run through life aimlessly, forgetting what you are pursuing. Keep your eyes on the prize. The goal is worth the journey. Last lesson from Africa. The glory of God is on display. Pictures. Maybe the glory of God is on display in the face of a child. You guys have seen this guy for a couple weeks. Maybe the glory of God is on display in the stripes of a zebra. Maybe the glory of God is on display in a huge elephant that nearly killed us. Maybe the glory of God is on display in two male lions that I had just watched. We watched four male lions just eating a baby Cape buffalo right next to us. It was amazing. Maybe the glory of God is on display in Kruger at you see a family of rhino, which is a crash of rhino, did you know that? The glory of God is on display in a place like South Africa. Sometimes perspective is powerful to see all the creation of God around us. And maybe you won't experience the smile of an orphan in Swaziland or a, a family of rhinos in Kruger National Park, but literally the glory of God is on display everywhere we look. All around us, the glory of God is on display. All around us, if we would choose to look for it and not just complain about the way things are, we can see God's handiwork. Yes, creation is imperfect because of sin. But God is still on His throne. The Creator is seen all around us. Listen to what the psalmist writes. In Psalm 19, verses 1-4, through The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So even in imperfect creation because of sin, we can look out and see God's glory. Even in the brokenness of our relationships, even in the, uh, the brokenness, brokenness of our family situations, we can see God's handiwork and we can declare with all of creation that God, our Creator, is worth glorifying and praising. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank You for the lessons that You have taught me, in my heart and life, through my experiences in Africa. And Lord, I pray that these lessons would not simply be lessons for me, but that as my testimony of experience and as the stories continue to come, that You, Lord, would use them to impress upon each of us Your lessons for our lives here. If there's one, Lord, this morning who is not yet sure about You as God. You as Savior of the world. I pray, Lord, that the testimony and fellowship of believers would be enough to lead them to who You are through Jesus Christ. And God, as we learn lessons through life that point to the realities of who You are, I pray that we would not simply acknowledge them, but Lord, that they would change us and make us into better disciples. Disciples who make disciples. Give us grace when we get the things wrong. Cover us 
with Your beauty of grace. Thank You for mercy that's being extended to us even now. Help us, Lord, to serve You with all that we have. We love You. We thank You for this day. And we thank You for all of our experiences in life. Help us to acknowledge that the goal is worth the journey. And give us grace and Your strength to walk each new day according to Your rich purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.